Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I have Karen Kopp, who is the Chief Door Opener at Kopp Consulting. Hi, Karen. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for coming. Tell me, could you give a quick 30, 60, 90 second intro to who you are and your journey to get to where you are today? Well, sure. As you said, I'm known as the chief door opener at COP Consulting. We get our clients in the door with their prospects for the first meeting. So people come to us when they're looking to open the big doors. They want to get in at the C-suite, SVP, VP, director level, and they don't either have the time to get the doors open or they don't have the talent or they just rather put a stick in their eye than do this work. So they hire us to represent them as if we were a member of their company and we get the doors open. I also do a lot of speaking on this topic. I'm an author of the bestseller, Biz Dev Done Right, and I'm just here to help as many people as possible figure out how do you get more doors open. Excellent. So tell me this, what are the four most common questions people ask you about prospecting by phone? It was tough to choose the four because there are usually so many questions, but I would say that the top four, number one, people say, when I'm in front of a prospect, I close most of the time. I just can't get in front of enough of the right prospects. How do I do that? That's the number one. That we I, I, I hear that a lot as well. And then they also tell me, our product sells itself. We have a warehouse full of them. Can you help me shift a few? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, the second one is I've emailed several times. I've sent LinkedIn invites, but I've received no reply. What can I do to get someone to respond? They ask that. They also ask when they reach a prospect and the prospect says that they're working with someone else or the, vet, the solution they have in place works fairly well, what do I say to get them to agree to meet with me anyway? And then the fourth one was, at what point should I give up on a prospect? Okay, so let, let's deal with those one by one. So the first question, remind me. <laughs> the first one, and people always say, when I'm in front of a prospect, I close most of the time. I just need to get in front of more prospects. How do I do that? So is that really because they can't do it, they don't want to do it, or when they do it, they do it badly? Yes. <laughs> all of those three. Sometimes it's all three, sometimes it's two, and sometimes it's just one. But any one of those three things not done well will cause them to not get in as many doors as they should. We call it TTD, like to analyze why this isn't going well for you. Look at TTD, time, talent, and desire. Are you spending enough time on prospecting for new prospects solely in order to get the results. And most of the time, people are not. They will say, oh, I've got all Friday afternoon, I've got these 50 prospects, I'm going to call them. And then they never call them again because they never have more time. They don't want to put the time into it. So there's a direct correlation between time spent and success as long as you're doing this right. People most of the time don't put enough time into this. The second thing is talent. This is a, a DNA thing. When it comes to getting in the right doors, it really has to do with an innate ability to do this. How can you navigate a conversation that's all over in less than a minute and a half and you don't get another chance? So that's innate. And yes, with messaging and training, we can train somebody to be better at it 
but we can't train them to have the DNA to be able to feel their way through a conversation like this. So that's, that's the talent piece of it. And then there's the desire. There are a lot of people who are tasked with the job of getting the doors open who have the talent to do it and they have the time to do it, but they would rather put a stick in their eye than do this job. But they don't tell their bosses that when they're hired. They say, sure, I was successful. See all about all these doors I got in. But that doesn't mean that they're going to spend their time doing it, that they choose to spend their time this way. And that's, that's one of the reasons why hiring somebody whose job it is to open doors is one of the most common mishires out there when it comes to sales. Because people say, well, gee, you know, if they have the talent, if they've been successful before somewhere else, they're going to be successful here too. And that's not always the case. In my experience, I've helped to recruit and I've done the job as well. I had a telemarketing company myself. The challenge is invariably, how do you stick at it when you have so much rejection and there's all that pushback in the early stages while you're trying to learn your craft? It's essentially 99% knockback. Occasionally, someone may take pity on you and then they'll say, send me some information or they'll give you some kind of fob off and you think you've had a victory. How do you maintain that uh, morale? Well... A couple of things. I mean, first of all, your mindset, what you just said to me, really needs to shift. Because if people are saying not now or if they're saying no, let's figure out why is that? Maybe they're not the right target to begin with. Maybe what you're saying is just really not that interesting to them. And therefore, there's no reason for them to give up their free time. Like when you look at your own calendar, I know when I look at mine, when I go into the office on on Monday morning, I look at my calendar, I just want to cry. There's no time in my week at all. So the first thing I'm doing is I'm looking at who's coming off my calendar. And if they didn't say something that was really incredibly important to me, they probably are not going to get a spot. They're not going to keep their spot. But let's talk about the people who are calling me who want a spot on an already full calendar. They have to say something that's so incredibly meaningful to me that I would want to knock three people off my calendar and make room for them now. So when you think about what you're saying to these right prospects, is it so important to them that they clear their calendar for a spot with you? Because if it's not, then I'm going to recommend that you need to revisit your messaging and enter this with the idea of if somebody says not now or if they say no and they are the right person, then maybe you just didn't explain it right. Maybe there's some education that needs to happen so this person understands what you understand, that this conversation is important to happen and they shouldn't put it off. So it's not a matter of rejection. If it's the right people, they just don't understand now. It's, it's not a no. It's a not yet. We always teach our clients that there are no bad prospects. There are only bad salespeople. And <laughs> I think it's really important that we look in the mirror. If what we're doing isn't working, then it's fundamentally up to us to work out why. Is it yeah, how we say it? Is it what we said? Is it our tonality? Is it that we didn't seek permission? Because I think a lot of telemarketing activity is interruptive. And if you're interrupting someone, you have a responsibility to make sure that they give you permission. You don't just steal their time. I think uh, what I've seen many 
in 35 years of uh, having to prospect, what I know is that if you seek someone's permission, then that makes you stand out automatically. And because the, the majority of telemarketing calls are just basically, hello, Karen, and then they then start pitching you. And you touched on another really important point, which is people buy for their reasons, not yours. Yeah. Showing photos of your ugly children to strangers really isn't a great way of trying to build rapport or, or enter into their world and the conversations they're already having. So in terms of preparation, what is it that you advise people to do when they're preparing for a call to make sure it's relevant, it's timely, and that it's welcomed? First of all, we talk about the five planks of door opening success. So you need all of these five planks to be in place in order for your work doing door opening to be most efficient. The first is the right target. The second is the right sales message. I don't mean marketing message. I mean sales message for a door opening specifically. The third is the right answer for objections. The fourth is the right door opener. You need the right person doing the work. And the fifth is the right execution. So that right person is doing the right work and spending the right amount of time. So if we go back to the very beginning of that, you said something interesting before. You said there are no wrong prospects. And while there may not be any wrong prospects, I would say there are certain prospects that are more right. And those are the ones where you're going to want to spend your time and make sure that Go, go ahead. Did you want to say something? Well, no, no. The, I, what, what I said was there are no bad prospects. There are only bad salespeople. If you've made the wrong, if you've aimed at the wrong target, that's on you. It's not them. It's not their fault. That's what right. Yes. So, yes. So we're saying the same things. But the thing is that when we start working with a company and we look at a, a salesperson's prospects, there's usually 25% of those prospects that don't really deserve their time and attention in the first place. And that's, yeah. that's a lot of wasted time. So it really makes sense to take a really good hard look at who the prospects are that are on your list. When you sit down to call them, and you should call them, I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of people do is that they hide behind email and yeah. they'll email and email and email and email, but they never add their voice. This is a human relationship and that requires voice. Phone alone doesn't work. Email alone doesn't work. Phone and email in combination, along with writing some handwritten notes and sending a LinkedIn, like all of those, those are the things that work. So you have to say something that's really important to them and give them a reason why, as I said before, giving up time on their calendar would be the best decision they make all week. When you sit down before you make those calls, you're already, you know what their problems are. You've already done your research on them as people, the people, the company, the industry, so that you can further personalize that message. There's a lot of a lot written these days about personalization, but people don't personalize for the individual. They might personalize for a group of individuals and slap a person's name on an email, but that's not the same as saying something that's meant just for one person. That's what sets people apart when they, they make good outreach versus crappy outreach. So let's take the second question. The second question is, I've emailed several times and sent a LinkedIn invite, but have received no reply. What can I do to get someone to respond? And here is where I would tell someone that phone alone doesn't work, email alone doesn't work, phone and email in combination. So if all you've done is you've emailed several times, you have not inserted yourself 
in a human way into the conversation and you're going to need to call them. Again, if all they have to do is look at their own behavior, I mean, how many times do you respond to a cold email that is talking selfishly about what the salesperson wants to talk about? Right. And among the 500 spam emails that they get in a day, why do they think for a second that anybody would bother to respond? That, well, that's right. And if you look at your own e- email inbox right now, I mean, mine is blowing up. We're in the COVID time right now. So if I see another email that says COVID on it, I'm just going to scream. To me, it's become very vanilla. Anytime I see that, I know that that email went to 999 other people and they're not saying something that's meant just for me. I pass right over it. In fact, even though my email is blowing up right now, there are very few vendors who are calling me as the CEO of my company to try and sell me something. They're sending it through email, but they're not calling me. The ones who call me, that's a whole different ballgame. And then especially if they've done their research. One of the things that we're seeing is that there's a 300% increase in get-through rates at the moment for our clients. Why are people not picking up the phone? The world economy continues to turn. $5 trillion went through the global economy or thereabouts yesterday. So when people say no one's buying, what they really mean is no one is buying from you. And the problem that I see is that salespeople really aren't salespeople. They're order takers. And they've fallen into selling by accident. And they're being managed by people who don't know how to prospect. And they don't know how to coach. And I think that's such a travesty because it's a tough job. It's the highest and lowest paid job there is on the planet. The problem that I see time and again is that salespeople basically get thrown into a job. They get told, here's a phone, congratulations, you're a salesperson now, off you go, dial for dollars. So why is it that managers haven't cottoned on to the fact that you, if you keep burning through salespeople, it's exceptionally expensive and highly inefficient. I was speaking to someone yesterday, and at their previous company, they said that a 60% turnover rate in sales was considered good. That goes back to what we were talking about before. I mean, the first thing is that you need to hire somebody who has the talent and the desire to do this job. And I think across the board, I see very few people who know how to interview for this kind of a role, for door opening. Now, remember, I've had my company for 20 years. This is the 21st year we're in business. All we hire are senior level door openers. That's it. So we have studied this to the nth degree. And there is a certain kind of person who is who not only is going to be more successful because they have the DNA and the experience, but because they really want to do this job. When they sit down, they don't feel any of the things that you talked about before. They're excited by the fact that people haven't said yes yet. That's, that's awesome because now this is a puzzle and I get to figure out what is it that I need to say? What is it that I need to do to help them understand how important it is for them that they hear about this, that we have this conversation so that they have the opportunity to have something that they don't have? A lot of times people are digging at pain. It's not always about pain. Sometimes it's about opportunity to say something that, have you ever thought about this? And then somebody will say, well, no, I never thought about it like that. You're right. We should have that meeting. It's the gentle pushing back by somebody who really wants to do that, who loves to do this part of the job. So there, first of all, it has to do with that. Second of all, 
there's very little good sales messaging that I've seen. So when somebody enters this job, the sales managers have not provided useful sales messaging. They'll give the the value prop from the marketing department and a couple of pieces of literature. They might even have them sit next to somebody who may or may not be good at this job. And that's it. That's what they get. What they should get is door opening sales language, which is something that we're known for, and training on how to use that messaging. And then once they're off and running, then they need a manager who knows how to diagnose where an issue is coming from. And they don't know how to do that. Nine times out of 10, they they haven't really done this job or not for a long time. And this job has changed, by the way, because I've had this company for so long. What got us in the door with our clients' prospects 10 years ago is not what got us in five years ago, is not what got us in two years ago, is not what got us in a month ago. It changes. So if the people training and working with your sellers who are on the phones haven't done this job in a long time, how successful are they going to be helping them know what good looks like? They really need somebody who's, who's been doing this and who knows what's happening right now. So there are three things I want to pick up on. They're quite different. So let me start with the first thing. One is that certainly coming from my school of selling, we were often focused on pain, pain, pain equals dollar, dollar, dollar. I've come to the realization that actually what people really want is a better future. And all we are selling ever is change. And if uh, Woodrow Wilson said it better than I could, if you want to make enemies, recommend change. So it's very difficult for salespeople to make that leap and forget that it's not about the product or your company because they don't care. No one in the history of humanity has ever woken up and said, you know what I really want? A toenail clipper. They want their toenails clipped. Uh, They're not interested in the product. And there's probably a reason for it because it might be ingrowing, it might be hurting, and there's any number of different reasons. They buy for their reasons. So remember that people are looking for a better future. Everybody wants a better future. That's right. If they don't, they're probably locked up in an asylum somewhere. So that's the first point that's really important. What I'd like to investigate a little bit further is what are the qualities that you look for? And I'm particularly interested in habits and attitudes in the people that you hire for mm-hmm. these, uh, these roles of door opening. Curiosity is the first one. It's the whole attitude of what if. Right. So what if I said this? What if I said that? What if I did this? What if you knew that this was going to get you, as you say, you know, what a brighter future? What if? So if they approach the world with a what if attitude, they are much more likely to stay in it for the long haul and be able to figure out what it's going to take for that prospect to understand that this meeting is going to be the best decision they make all day. And that requires time. Like for those managers who are saying, you have to get 60 dials done in an hour. Well, guess what? You're going to have 60 crappy dials done in an hour. Did that help you? What if somebody could actually think about what they were doing and think about the person and then reach that person on the phone and say something that's so incredibly impactful? So we're looking for for people with curiosity. In our group, They have to have a minimum of 10 years experience in business development. Most of them have more like 15 or 20. And many of them were previously corporate decision makers before. So in addition to a what if and curiosity attitude, we're looking for somebody who has empathy. How can they put themselves in somebody else's 
position so that they can understand what life is like from that person's side of the desk. You know, it used to be 10 years ago, you could say to somebody, we could save you 10%. And that might actually be interesting to them. It's not interesting to them. They don't care about 10% for their companies. The only thing they care about is themselves. How is this going to make their life better? And People forget that the the lead, the decision maker, the prospect, that those words have no flesh and blood attached to them. But the people who you're reaching out to, who are reading that email, who are hearing your phone calls, these are people. They go to work for a reason, and it's not to take your call. It's just not. So what is it that you could say? What do you do that would help that person? So if you can pretend you are that person and say what you were going to say, you are in a better position to evaluate whether that person is going to react to that. So empathy is the other one. It was a long way to get to the the answer. Very good. I absolutely agree. If you're not curious and you don't have empathy, you genuinely don't have any place in sales generally, whether it's door opening or otherwise. Sales is a, a massive force for good. If you are able to find somebody who you can help, And you have to peel away the layers of resistance because naturally when they hear that it's a a sales call, they're generally going to be resistant. So if you can't empathize with them and you're trying to push them into a corner, the natural thing to do is resist. Something that you, you said just triggered a thought for me is that if it sounds like a cold call, like even if you have the words that are right, but your delivery is off. I like to say language plus delivery equals outcome, right? What you say and how you say it determines the result. So if you have the right words, but you say, hi, Mrs. Cop, my name is Michael, you know, and you sound like it's a cold call, people will shut down immediately. But if you enter that voicemail or the live dialogue conversationally, it's a whole different ballgame. And that is an, a very easy fix, but sales managers never do this part with people. They don't listen to the voicemails and how they sound. They don't listen to how people enter a conversation. They might spend time on the objection answers and quizzing people on objection answers, but life doesn't happen according to a script. And nobody seems to monitor how people are entering a conversation. Voicemail is six sentences. Live dialogue is two sentences and a question. And then you need to know where to take that conversation. It's really important that people remember your point earlier on, which is that you're dealing with another living, breathing, sentient human being. That's right. By the time they receive your phone call, they've probably made 30 decisions already or 170 decisions. They've sat through some torment, like another meeting where nothing happened. They've endured a previous sales call, which was a death by PowerPoint. (laughs) And then you interrupt them. You better have a damn good reason for doing it. And it also needs to be compelling. It needs to draw them in. And Mm. you have to engage people in a conversation. Again, I think the language of sales really needs a, a very careful review. Things like pitching. Who on God's earth ever came up with the idea that pitching at somebody was a good idea. That's like just yelling a broadcast at somebody and saying, buy my stuff. And so that flabbergasts me still. And the one quality that I think is just never taught is listening. Why is it that 
as a profession, we do not teach listening. And it's so important because there's there's so much you can hear when you remove video, right? When you remove sitting in front of somebody, which is what happens when you're calling somebody on the phone, there's a lot that isn't said that means a lot. You can hear by somebody's breathing that you have one more question before you have to end that call and you better choose carefully. You can understand by the cadence of someone's voice, are they speaking quickly, are they speaking slowly? Like sometimes if somebody answers and they're speaking very quickly because as you say, they're interrupted, they're agitated, they've got three other things coming up before they have to go to three meetings in the afternoon and then they have to leave early and they answer. And you could say one thing and get them to completely change their attitude But if you didn't pick up on the fact that their speech was at a fast cadence, and then you don't say that one thing, you don't get to have the rest of the conversation. They'll shut you down. This again points to something else that is really quite worrying. Only 12% of first meetings result in a second meeting. Now, when you think about the amount of effort, time, money, resource, opportunity cost, that goes into securing a quality meeting with a genuine prospect who has something, a problem that you can help to resolve. There's something almost criminal about wasting those opportunities. And if you've managed to secure a meeting, it's incumbent on you, whether you've bought the meeting in through a third party like uh, you guys, or you've prospected yourself, or you've done it through LinkedIn or through your marketing, however, Why would you not pay really good attention to what was said on that call, make good notes and agree as part of that call what is going to happen at the end? Mm -hmm. So there is no surprises. There are no surprises along the way. Because, again, prospects, people don't like surprises, good or bad. What they want is to know why their time is being spent and to feel like it's an investment. So again, in terms of the structure of the call, the amount of effort that goes into making a really good call to make it feel seamless, Mm -hmm. that takes real skill. How do you go about developing the structure? So it's delivering the message and it's engaging the other person, but it doesn't really feel like you're selling to them. Well, it shouldn't be. It should be a conversation. It should be engaging. One of the things that we do with the door opener service, I mean, our job is obviously to get the meetings with the executive level prospects for our clients. But when it's a conference call meeting, we'll get in-person all or conference call meetings. When it's a conference call meeting, which they all are these days because everybody's working from home, our person is always on that meeting too. And before that meeting, before the very first meeting our clients go on, we do what we call a mini refresher. And we remind them of exactly what you're talking about. There is a framework for how to have a conversation that produces an optimal outcome. From what I've observed from our clients and all the people we train and the people who come to me for help is that the number one reason why these, uh, you have your statistic, the 12% only get to a next meeting. The number one reason why that happens is because people don't ask for a second meeting. Could you imagine? They could have a meeting. They could have a second meeting. They just don't ask for one. 
And so when we're reminding people in our mini refresher what the best practices are around the structure of that conversation, the end result is always a next meeting, always. And you close up for next steps and you get a date and time, date and time, date and time, date and time. Even if a full meeting is not quite appropriate, a 10-minute check-in call usually is. And people will agree while you're on that call to put a date and time on the calendar. If you don't get a date and time on that one meeting, the chances of you getting a second meeting go down and it takes significantly longer and, and a whole chase to get the prospect's attention again. Why would people do that? Why is it that managers are not just training, but mandating that their people can never get off a meeting without asking for another one? The easiest way to shorten your sales cycle is to ask for a date and time. Good advice. If we look at the uh, structure of the call, um, we enter into the conversation. There has to be some way to draw them into that conversation, get their permission, and develop that sales message. So you mentioned that it's not a marketing message. What, What is a sales message for the audience? So a sales message is when you're talking to one person. It's the human communication, one-to-one. It could be one-to-two if you have two people on a sales call, but it's the message, the language that's meant for one person, whether you're talking to them or whether you're emailing them. Like when you have a marketing campaign and you're emailing 10,000 people, you have the same message for that group of 10,000 people. That doesn't work for one individual. That's what sales messaging is about. So sales messaging has to be based on research about that individual, the company, the situation, and and personalized just just for that person. We, We talk about a conversation funnel right? For any single conversation is in a conversation funnel. And when you get on the phone with somebody for that first meeting, your prospect is not even in your conversation funnel. They're outside your conversation funnel because they're thinking about all the other things that have happened. And you need to say something that gets them in your conversation funnel. And one of the things we suggest is to say, when we left off last on the phone, you talked about the importance of this, this, and this to you. How important is that to you today? What's changed since the last time we talked, if anything? And then give them a chance to talk. Now they're moving into your conversation funnel and they're focusing on what you want them to focus on. And then we recommend three to four, what we call high gain questions. These are questions that work hard for you. They're not just any question, high gain question that works hard for you. So it's not just what keeps you up at night because they could have seven-month-old twins that keep them up at night. Now you're talking about babies. What keeps you up at night as it relates to? And then they're in your conversation funnel. You can ask that question. What's your role here? Of course, you've done your research. You can say on LinkedIn, it says your role is such and such. What else do you do there? So you want to make sure if they're over one area or are they over four areas? They may have been promoted since they updated their LinkedIn. Let's get the most current information so that when it's your turn to talk, you have elicited the valuable information you need to be able to position what you want to talk about as the next best thing for them so that they'll, in no uncertain terms, realize that continuing that conversation with the next meeting is going to be valuable to them, something they're not going to want to put off. It's interesting, CSO Insights, uh, I think it was 2018, released a bit of research 
And they said that 85% of chief executives hate receiving cold calls. In the same piece of research, 83% love receiving a good cold call. <laughs> well, that's because so, so few cold calls are good ones, right? They don't mind if somebody's calling them to talk to, some, to them about something that really matters. I've never heard anybody say that they, they are not open to a really good idea that helps them. But it's just that so few cold calls are positioned that way. And that's why they hate the bad ones. Everybody hates the bad ones. <laughs> the good I ones, remember, that's a different story. I remember my wife was pregnant with our third child and I'd been cooking our dinner and uh, we had this terrible cold call uh, come through. And I was trying to be polite because I like, you know, I don't think it's fair to be uh, horrible to people who making their living this way. And I explained, look, my wife's pregnant with our third child. I'm cooking her dinner. Really, now is not a good time. He just went into the pitch. So I must have told at least 10,000 people exactly who it was. It was a company called OneTel. So I could just dig the knife in because it was an interruption and it was rude and it wasn't welcome. So again, you have to listen to what the prospect says. You have to listen to tonality. You have to listen to how they really respond. And let's take this to a slightly different level. On the phone, very often, there are fob-offs. Send me some information, send me your website, all that kind of stuff. Now, most of those, if we're being honest, are just polite ways of saying, go and boil your head. I don't want to say no to you. And so how can you ensure that when you're making calls, that you're actually getting to the truth and you don't get sucked into some form of stall or put off that's essentially going to have you chasing and becoming a pest? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So the first thing I recommend is to keep track of how many times you're receiving any one objection. Are you receiving send me information a lot? Are you receiving, we already have a vendor for that a lot? Like, what are you receiving? Because based on the percentage of the time that you're receiving a certain objection, you can go back and change your message, what you said before the objection came at you to that will prevent the objection from coming at all. But if you're not keeping track of this, you're not cognizant of this, then you have no idea. So there are going to be times when you can eliminate those objections by changing what you say early on, or in some cases, changing your target. Because let's say people are truly not interested because you're calling the wrong, the wrong title. That could be a good reason for not being interested. It doesn't matter what you say. They're never going to be interested because they weren't the right people to begin with. So make sure your target is right, and then you can change your message. But then you're, you're still going to get these objections, and the idea is to be prepared for them. I like to call it the three P's of objection, preparedness, pre-think, prepare, and practice. So if you could pre-think, somebody's going to say, send me information, you can prepare an answer, but then you need to practice. That's the language plus delivery piece where you're going to practice until it doesn't sound rehearsed. So if somebody says, yes, send me information for that, and you're sure they're the right prospect, a good target, you're sure your, your message was interesting, compelling, and had some urgency associated with it, and they say, send me information, then you're going to say, I'll absolutely do that. 
but the information is general in nature and we want to talk about your needs specifically. So let's put a time on the calendar to have this conversation. I'll send you the information. We'll go from there. How's Thursday at 10? So that comes out very conversationally. You're still honoring their request and then you still get the meeting anyway, but you have to be ready to come out with that. A lot of times people will be to say, oh, okay, you know, and they'll just go ahead and put it on the calendar. If they say, oh, no, 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 I have to have that information first before I'll agree to that. Then you say, I'm going to go ahead and send it now. And then I'll call you back on Friday and we'll set a time for our call at that point. And usually people will say, okay, at that point, but you need to be prepared. That's the point of all of this is that you need to be prepared. I find that when people pre-think the objections they get, they can usually come up with 90% of any objection they're going to receive in any selling situation. And if they could pre-think what those are, then they can prepare the answers and they could be ready. Then they only need to dance on 10% of them. I can honestly say I've only ever had one original objection in my entire working life. And I was training a company that sold barter, barter exchange, and a very culturally unaware salesperson was speaking to a Sikh who had a turban, and uh, he was fobbed off with, well, we, uh, my religion prevents me from doing barter, which clearly it doesn't. There is not an original objection on the planet. There is no excuse for not being prepared. And yes, there is no excuse for not rehearsing. And there's no excuse for allowing yourself to trip up on something that you're probably going to hear dozens, hundreds, thousands of times in your career as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. In my experience, and again, um, maybe I'm a little bit more jaded than most, when someone asks for information, what I always uh, suggest is, you know, Karen, I'd be happy to send you something. What what specifically were you hoping would be contained in that? Mm -hmm. And then they say, whatever. Okay, and if I send that to you, what happens then? Because I want to make sure that we're actually contracting for a next step. Because when I hear what they say next, I may hear in their tonality that actually they're going a little bit wishy-washy, the pitch in their voice changes. And that's an indicator that actually this isn't real. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a polite way of getting me off the phone. Karen, do you mind if I ask you a slightly direct question without causing you any offense? Is this a polite way of getting me off the phone? Would you like me to just hang up and never call you again? Is that, is that what you're really trying to tell me? Because I would rather get the no, because once I get a no, I can actually sell past that more easily mm. than I can with a fall-off and then spend my life stuck in voicemail jail. <laughs> and I think salespeople are afraid of hearing no. And one of the worst bits of advice I was ever given as a young whippersnapper salesman was don't ask closed questions. Close questions are incredibly powerful because they're directional. They're very binary. It's either yes or no. And if it's a no, then I, then I can prepare and I can rehearse on how to sell through that if it's possible. Because if it's only an objection, then that's a not now or I'm not convinced. But if it's a condition, then I want out as quickly as possible. I don't want to waste time chasing something that I'm never going to be able to move forward. That mm-hmm. sounds crazy. I just have one thing to add to what you're saying is that to be careful of the false negative when it comes to that, because when somebody answers the phone, they're distracted versus a true no if they're paying attention. 
So if you really have somebody's attention and it's a, it's a true no, fair enough. Like you don't want to be in, in voicemail jail, totally get it. But if you called them back like two days later, or you called them initially two days later, when they're in a completely different mindset, you may be able to get farther. And so you need to make a split second decision right when you're in that moment, whether you're dealing with somebody who's simply distracted or whether you truly have their attention before you make that decision. That's my my own. I think that's very fair. In fact, to take that point a little bit further, a client of mine was making prospecting calls and he got very badly treated. He was shouted at. And he said, you know, I'm sorry for interrupting, hung up. And a couple of days later, he phoned up and uh, he said, Karen, I called you a couple of days ago and um, you sounded very upset and I was worried about you. Are you okay? And what was really interesting was that opened up the human conversation again and then they got the meeting. So again, a no doesn't necessarily mean no. Um, the, The challenge here is that you need to be thick-skinned enough to be ready to have a conversation with somebody where no is a very real possibility. And in fact, you will get more no's than yeses typically. And you need to be ready to try different approaches. And like you said earlier, one channel probably isn't going to work particularly well. You need to do telephone, you need to do email, you need to do content. Again, I'm having a huge amount of success creating very targeted content. So uh, as part of my prospecting strategy, I have an avatar or an individual in mind, and I write content specifically to enter into the world, their conversations that they're already having. Mm-hmm. And then other people will tag them on my behalf uh, and draw their attention to it. And then if they like it, then I can engage with them. If they comment on it, I can engage with them. And the beauty of doing that is that You have multiple ways of entering into a conversation with somebody. Don't be so orthodox and zealous that there is only one way. There isn't. In this day and age, you need to be a master of digital. You need to be a master of telephone. You need to be asking for referrals on cold calls. So again, you you see so many people just hang up and they don't, at the end of the conversation, they say, Karen, I appreciate that it's not for you. Tell me something. I don't suppose there's somebody in your network, your church, your community who may be struggling with some of the issues that we talked about that you think that could benefit. Why not ask for referrals on cold calls? It seems crazy. You know, I think there's, there's a lot of head trash associated with this work of starting a conversation with somebody you don't know. One of the things that we do when we train is we call it head trash removal (laughs) because you need to remove that. I was talking with somebody, it was just yesterday, and um, he was writing to somebody on LinkedIn, somebody he knew, and he was saying that he had a business development idea for him that he thought would help him. Might he have 15 minutes to hear, hear the idea? He would consider it a personal favor. And I'm like, wait a minute, take out the personal favor it's not a favor for you. You're doing a favor for him. You're giving him a business development idea that could help him. How is that a favor for you? Head trash. It, well, it is. And a lot of this stems back to early childhood conditioning. You know, being told don't talk to strangers is great advice for a three-year-old. But if you're a grizzled old salesperson age 53, you better be ready to talk to anyone. I am really enjoyed this conversation. What are you being influenced by? What, what are you reading, listening to, watching? 
that you'd recommend to other people to really develop themselves? Yeah, um, I would look at anything that's written by Vern Harnish, who is the author of Scaling Up. He leads the Gazelles coaches. I'm a thought leader for that community. I'm the sales messaging coach for the Scaling Up coaches worldwide. And what they're talking about with regard to business and taking your business to the next level is really something that needs to, that people need to pay attention to. Even in this world where people have to pivot right now and figure things out, they are rooted in strategy. So I would read anything Vern is putting out right now. Very good material. So you've got a golden ticket and you can go back and advise your idiot 23-year-old self how to avoid a lifetime of misery and self-sabotage. Yeah. What advice can you give young Aaron? So actually, this is something that, that Vern said to me. One time I was telling him in my business, we had a particular challenge and that we were figuring it out a certain way. And the, my team was telling me one thing and I was thinking it had to be something else and we, we needed to figure out the answer. And he said to me, don't spend years figuring out this answer. Go find the person who knows the answer and ask the question. Very good advice. Uh, <laughs> good on you, Vern. Okay, so what, what are you struggling with yourself at the moment? What are you wrestling with? So what I'm, what I'm struggling with right now is helping the masses of people who need to get over this learning curve of how they meet people in the new virtual world, right? So I put out a webinar on virtual prospect meetings, best practices, that has really helped people because even people who were doing their prospect meetings virtually weren't really doing all that good a job, right? So there are certain best practices associated with that that they really need to know. Some of them we talked about on today's call, but others we did not. So that's a webinar that I highly recommend. People can get that by coming to my website, going to the contact us and asking us to send send them that link. How do people get hold of that? cupconsultingusa.com, K-O-P-P, consultingusa.com. Go to contact us, hit other, and specify that they want the webinar on virtual prospect meetings, best practices. I also recently did, a, in conjunction with Zoom Info, which is now owned by, by Discover Org, did the five planks of door opening success and what's happening right now? Like what are the strategies that our door openers are using to get doors open right now at the executive level? And I'm trying to get the word out to as many people as possible who need this because without conferences, trade shows, and in-person networking right now, people have to learn what we know. And so my biggest challenge is getting that message out to as many people as possible. Brilliant. Karen Kopp, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. I have as well. Pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off from the Inquisitor podcast once again. If you feel that you'd be a good guest for the podcast, then please get in touch at m-c-a-u-c-h-i at sandler.com. And if there's somebody that you would like me to interview because you think they have a strong message and you'd like to learn more about what they have to say in the arena of sales, sales recruitment, prospecting, channeled enterprise, then please get in touch. So that's Marcus Kauke signing off once again. Happy selling and stay safe. Bye-bye.